You're listening to Behind the Note Podcast, brought to you by a musician for musicians. Here, you will get advice toward a successful music career. This show is made to educate, inspire, motivate, and empower. Now, here is your host, Chris Davis. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for pressing play. We're in episode number nine already. I got a question for you. I want to start the episode off with the question. What do you do when you're brand new to a city? You don't know anyone, yet you have a desire to perform. Where do you begin? That's what we're going to talk about today. We're also going to talk about how to balance family life with your career. Today's guest is a family man and a great professional at the same time. He's one of the best drummers right now on the New York scene. He plays all styles of music that he gets called for, and he does it authentically. That's a really key point, in my opinion. That's something I personally look for when I call on the drummer, is the authentic playing of the style. And so it brings me great pleasure to introduce to you today our featured guest, Mr. Rudy Royston. Thank you, Rudy, so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, man. Glad to be here. I I was really excited to have you on the show because when I started uh, researching about you, I I discovered that you're a family man, and I want to start with that if you don't mind. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> All yeah. right, yeah, because you know, balancing a, a family and a music career is something that many people probably have to deal with. Um, so. How many children do you have? How long have you been married? Tell tell us about that real quick. Yeah, I have two kids, eight and eleven, and I've been married for eighteen years. Okay. So will you tell us how you manage to have a family with children and a music career at the same time? How did you work that out? That that's the biggest challenge. <laughs> Actually, when when you have a because if you're single, you know you're not you you don't have to be accountable to anyone but yourself. So you can go, stay however long, you know, do whatever you you need to do. Even you don't even have to. You can eat ramen noodles every night and be fine with that, and save all your money or spend all your money. But it, it's with family is very different. <laughs> so I mean, you know, it's it's just balancing it to ensure that you have enough time with your kids, you have enough time with your spouse, and you have to also have the time that you dedicate to your trade. So, uh, you know, the, the tough part of that, about it is if you're really going to make a living as a musician, that means you're going to tour. So if you're going to tour, that means you're going to be away. And so, you know, you're, that time away from your family is necessary. It, it has to happen or else you won't have a place to live. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> I mean, so, you know, so, I, you know, I try to, uh, stay close to my kids and make sure that they understand, you know, that when I'm leaving it's because I, you know, it's a part of what dad does and he actually has to leave and they're cool with it because, you know, they've kind of grown up with it. But, uh, when I'm home, you know, I try to make the most of that time. So when I'm home, I'm spending as much time as I could possibly spend with the family. Uh, it gets tough when you need, even if it's just local gigs and you need a babysitter. <laughs> yes. You know, because then you have to get a babysitter. That means you're not going to make much money on the gig because you're going to have to take the money from the gig and pay the babysitter. 
Um, but uh, that's just a part of it. So you, you find, you know, try to find two or three babysitters who you really like and, and you know, who you can rely on. And that's just, that's a part of it. So when Shami and I, because she plays too, when we can have a gig together, that's beneficial to us because we're going to have to get a sitter, but we're going to make twice as much money for the house. You know what I mean? Right. And I think you have a, a somewhat of a unique situation in that your wife is also a musician. Um, right. Did you guys, is that how you guys met through playing music? Yeah. Yeah. We met at Telluride Jazz Camp. We, it's, in a, it's in the mountains in Colorado, about seven hours away from Denver. And uh, yeah, we just met. We were both in high school at the time. We just, I saw, actually, I saw Tia first, her sister. And, you know, I was a high school kid, so I was trying to, you know, get to know Tia. And then I was like, wait a minute, how old are you? Because she, she was way younger. And then she introduced me to her sister. She was like, well, this is my sister. And I was like, oh, wait, she's beautiful. <laughs> oh, man, wow. I was like, you look though, because Shami looks younger than Tia. You know what I mean? So it was mm-hmm. like, man. But, you know, I was, I was, it was high school. You know what you said. So, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> so so um, you really didn't really have to convince your wife, so to say, that, you know, to let me have this career in music that I'm dreaming of, babe. You didn't have to do any of that, or did you? A little bit, yeah. You know, because we were in Denver and we were teaching. We've been in New York seven years. And, you know, so we were real established in Denver with teaching jobs. Had a house, you know, steady money coming in. So, you know, but it was, a, it was a different kind of convincing. She understood what it was that I was wanting to do because we were cool and she was cool just kind of playing in Denver and teaching and doing what we were doing. But I was kind of wanting to get more from the music, um, you know, career. So, you know, I kind of had to, <laughs> it's kind of like I had to kind of convince her a little bit that it, would, that it would be cool. And if it wasn't, if it didn't work out, we'd just come back to Denver. You know, that's what I was telling her before we came here. Um, but then we got here and found out that, well, we can't just go back to Denver. It costs a lot of money to move out here. So it was like, man, we're kind of out here now, which was cool. But, uh, you know, when I first started touring a lot, that's when it kind of, she was like, wait a minute, you're kind of, you know, whoa, you really are going a lot. And so that, that change sort of impacted us a little bit. So we have to get used to that. Yeah. So there was like a somewhat of an awakening like, wow, this is really happening, and you're not here. Was right. That, is that what you're telling us? Okay. Yeah. So, how how did the how did the the children take that? Were they cool with the move and everything? Uh, yeah, they were totally cool. They were so young. I mean, my daughter was six months old when I moved here. So okay. She, all she's ever known is dad leaving and coming back, and mom leaving and coming back. But my son, for a minute, yeah, he was kind of like. You're going for how long? You know, like, what? Three weeks, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but again, you know, after it happened a few times, then he saw that, okay, he comes back. He's still dad. You know, it's like he doesn't come back a different person. You know, he's like, oh, okay, we're cool. You know, I try to, you know, just to assure him. You know, when I leave, they both get silent. You know, they get kind of quiet. Mm-hmm. You know, that's their way of saying they really don't want me to go. But uh, it's cool after a day or so after I leave, they're cool. And I get back home, and we jump on each other for two hours, and everything is perfect. <laughs> right on. So I just really wanted to start with that part because 
Uh, when I learned that about you, that's just something I'm, I was personally interested interested in because I have a young family myself, mm-hmm. and uh, I know that we're not the only ones. So I was hoping that maybe someone could get some uh, some pointers from you. Yeah, uh, it's, it's so just an investment. It, it, it once everyone gets used to what it feels like, then you, we adjust to it. All right, so let's start with the music career now. Uh, Mm. When did you start playing? Let's let's go there. Were, were you were you young? Were you a child when you started playing, or were you an adult? How old were you when you started playing? I mean, when I professionally professionally when I started playing, I was in high school. But I've been playing in church since middle schoolish. You know, um, I kind of grew up next to the drummer in church, watching and and playing on percussion stuff at home. I started playing. Uh, percussion in elementary school in like the fourth grade uh but yeah i started playing the drums a lot you know somewhere when i was in like sixth or seventh grade and i was playing a lot in church but professionally i started playing when i was a sophomore in high school like they had you know the professional wedding bands and you know they call out the number of the tune and you just bring it up and play it and uh yeah i started doing that what was your entry into playing in that field in the wedding bands at such a young age, too? Man, I, you know, I was playing a jazz band at school, and they had like, uh, you know, how they have citywide bands that you audition to get in. So I auditioned to get into like the citywide jazz band, where they pick like the top musicians from all the high schools in the city to be in this one jazz band. And one of the teachers was a guy who ran. Uh, kind of like an agency that booked these bands. So he, you know, I he knew about me through that. And one one day he just sort of asked me, I was like, man, can I try to do one of these gigs? And so he started me out with like a trio in a hotel. Like a hotel would say, well, we need a band for this time. And I was in this jazz trio. And then he tried me one time in a wedding band. And it, it was it was good, I guess, because he kept calling me. So I had those gigs for a while. Now, before that happened, was that something that you knew you wanted to do, or and when I say when I say that, I mean, did you know you wanted to play professionally, or did you just kind of discover it as you went along? I, you know, something in me knew I was going to be a musician. I mean, I wanted to play; that's all I ever wanted to do for as long as I could remember. But it didn't really hit me hit me until I was probably about that time, about a freshman in high school. I went in the band room and my band teacher let me hear this standard time volume one when Marcellus yes. and it had Tane on drums. And I was like, you know, before that I was playing like LL Cool J, a lot of hip hop, a lot of gospel on drums. When I heard that, it was just like, man, I can't, I can't understand anything this drummer is doing. And that is completely fascinating. I got to find out what this is, <laughs> you know? And so after, at that point it was like, Man, after I started getting into that jazz stuff, it was like, there's nothing else I ever want to do. <laughs> this is it. So how did you make that transition into jazz as far as your playing? Technically, how did you, how did you uh, discover how to play? Man, you know, the only way that I, because you know, I never took lessons because we couldn't afford them. So I just kind of listened a lot to radio and, and had a lot of VHS tapes. Like I would tape a lot of PBS shows and jazz concerts and things. But um, you know, the 
the way that I did it was I just I just listened a lot, listened a lot, lot to the music, and I did my best to emulate what I heard those drummers playing, which was cool because I mean I was basically learning how to speak the language, like from a baby. You know what I mean? I was listening to hear what drummers were playing in this jazz idiom, and then I would get on the, the kit and just try to play it, even though I had no idea what it was. I would piece together my own version of it. <laughs> and so the, after a while, you know, I went to a couple of jazz camps and that was the first lessons that I actually had on drums with Ed Soap and Duffy Jackson. And um, how old were you at that point? Then I was 15. Okay. Yeah, 15 and 16. Oh, 16 and 17. But uh, yeah, and that's when I first saw, you know, rudimentally like technically practically what they were doing how to apply those things to the drums and actually speak that language and then some of the stuff i was hearing was clear to me it was like oh okay that's a paradiddle with a flam you know what i mean it's like oh okay i was so i just sort of technically learned at those jazz camps but all you know uh, orally i learned just listening and trying to emulate it so a lot of stuff i played early on was really raggedy really just wrong, you know, because I didn't know exactly what it was, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And once I started studying the rudiments and, and you know, I hooked up with those two guys for that jazz camp, it was like, okay, I, I'm, I'm sort of getting this. And then I got into a lot of marching band stuff as well, and that really made it clear to me. So when did you get to actually put what you learned into practice? Oh, man, immediately. Like, like as soon as I um, was learning those things. Like as soon as I would find something out, I would immediately just try to do it. Cause my thing was, man, I was in Denver. There was these great drummers all around the place. <laughs> you know, and my thing was, is, man, I can't, I don't want to wait until I'm like 30 to be playing. It's like, I, I kind of want to play what that drummer is doing now today. You know, that was my vibe. It's just like, I want to do that tonight when I go home. I don't really have a lot of time. I don't know why I felt like that. I did, but so, you know, so I would put that stuff into practice immediately. But I went my first, my freshman year in college, I hooked up with uh, Ron Miles, this trumpet player in Denver, who like my mentor, who taught me a lot of stuff about music. And that's really, I, I guess, when you can say I really had a jazz gig that I could do that stuff on. Wow. That's really impressive. That's really impressive to me that you pretty much had to wait till college uh to to get that working practice i don't want to call it practice because you were performing but but there is a difference between practicing and performing and we all know that so that's yeah. pretty impressive yeah i mean I, I had some time you know i was like i said i was doing those citywide jazz bands so i was playing in school bands you know i was playing in jazz band in school so that, I mean, that was kind of, I was trying to do some stuff in there, but the real professional level thing didn't come to college. So you're, you're from Denver, grew up in Denver, correct? Yeah. And you also went to college in Denver. Is that true? Or in Colorado? Yeah. Okay. And so seven years ago, you went to New York. So about what, 2007, 2006, approximately. Yeah. 2006. Okay. Wow. So tell us about when you first got to New York. 
What um, did you do to be seen and to earn work? Right. I mean, you know, I didn't come up here blindly. I would have came up here blindly if I didn't have a family. But so I came here to because I my my vehicle to get here was a graduate degree at Rutgers. So it's like, okay, well, I'm going to go to Rutgers and get a master's degree. That way, at least I'll have a dorm to stay in for a year before I have to actually get some work. So, you know, I have like a year and a half is what I told myself to see if I can really do this. I have to interrupt you, please. I'm sorry. But are you telling me that you stayed in a dorm with your family? Yeah. Wow. (laughs) We moved from a three-story, four-bedroom, three-car garage house to two-bedroom, tiny little apartment. (laughs) Wow. Okay. (laughs) With roaches. (laughs) <laughs> oh, New York roaches. Oh, man. It was terrible, man. But, uh, you know, I, we, we, that was a rough time. When we first got here, you know, so there was, that was, I knew at least we had some place to stay. I didn't know how we were going to eat, but I knew we had some place to stay. So, I mean, I had a little bit of money that we had, you know, to keep us coming from Denver to here, which quickly ran out in about the four months, three months, that was kind of gone. <laughs> So I got my little six-year-old baby, my little two-year-old son. You know, I'm like, man, I got it. Something's got to happen. So you know, to be seen, I just I I knew people had to know that I was here. So I you know I would go to jam sessions all the time when I first got here, and that was rough because just to leave the house here in Jersey and get to New York at that time the toll was sixty or was six dollars, so that was cheap. But it was still it was costing money just to get to these jam sessions, gas, you know me. And so yeah, but I would go to the jam session at Smoke. Uh, I would go to jam session at uh, Cleo's. There was this place that was in Brooklyn. Uh, shoot, man, I forget the name of it. But they had a jam session, but I made sure that I hit these different scenes. Like I didn't just go to the zinc bar and sit in it's like because that's not my vibe i don't want to just swing i want to go to brooklyn and sit in on some kind of funk session i want to go to somewhere else and sit in on as many different kind of scenes as i as i could so i mean that's that's basically what i did and i just sat in probably for about two or three months just kept sitting in and people eventually people started to notice me and be like, Oh man, I that dude sat in last time and oh he can play a little bit you know, and so pretty after a while I started to know a few people. People started to know like Stacy Dillard was you know Stacy Dillard? I do. Yeah, he was he was kind of a an instrumental cat because I sat in uh at Smalls or somewhere like that and he heard me, but then I went to Zinc Bar and like nobody knew me. So I would be sitting in Zinc Bar until like 4 a.m. And they would have no intention of letting me sit in because they, you know, so many other cats who wanted to sit in who everybody knew. And it was just like, yeah, you know, it was hard for just some unknown cat with sticks to just, you know, sit in. But Stacy was like, man, I know this dude. You know, saying, like, let him play. You know what I mean? So he kind of, he kind of advocated for me early on in a few different places, kind of told people about me and pushed for me. So he, he kind of hooked me up. So based on the story you're telling me, you pretty much developed some relationships with people who vouched for you. Yeah, I mean, basically, I developed a presence. People started recognizing me because they saw me, you know what I mean? 
I would be at so many different sessions. After a while, people saw me and they heard me play, so they knew I could play. You know, so and then the relationships came sort of after that, because yeah, then people would, you know, sometimes you know it's, it's sad, but people would vibe you, you know, because they don't know you. But once they hear you playing, then it's like okay, now they'll talk to you because they know you can actually play. You know, what I mean, it wasn't like that with Stacy, but I mean, it was like that with some other people. Yeah, that's unfortunate. I wish it weren't that way, but. It is that way. Yeah, it is like that. You know, so, but, you know, but I was cool with that. I, I knew, you know, I knew what it, I knew what the deal was. <laughs> it was all good. And I just, you know, it just made me more determined. It's just like, that's cool. I'll, you know, I'll give it a little time. And my goal is to make sure that guy knows me next time. You know what I mean? I just used it for motivation. Nice. So tell us about how things began to change. So that was the beginning. You, for, you got to New York. And you uh, had to pretty much downgrade your lifestyle. Yeah. Um, and then you went to jam sessions, which mm-hmm. was somewhat costly, but yeah. uh, it's what it really ended up being an investment yeah. in, in your future. Yeah, that's how I thought of it. And so tell us about how things transitioned from just going to jam sessions to where you are now because now you're you're playing with with some serious people so how did that transition tell us about that i mean that sort of happened just from those you know from those jam sessions you know which is kind of key you know you start to hook up with people people start having sessions you know like man come to my house for a session but you know i went to smalls and heard greg august's band you know and i i sat in with him at smoke and so i was kind of like man yeah i want to you know i want to hook up with that dude just from these sessions, you know what I mean? And, and I saw him at Smalls, and he was like, man, why don't you come over to my house for a session? Me and this cat named J.D. is going to play. So I went over to his house, and that's how I started playing with J.D. Allen's trio. Just from that, we went to Greg's house, and I was just, you know, I was going over there to play again. I was thinking of it like, you know, you never know, man. This is kind of an investment. So I started playing with J.D.'s trio, and word kind of got around about that. And then this booking agent for, uh, the manager, rather, for Don Byron, name is Hans. It was, he used to uh, work with Rod Miles in Denver. And so he kind of heard that I was in town. And he gave me a gig with uh, Don Byron. And then that was more kind of exposure. People kind of heard of me. It's probably it's, it's playing with Don Byron. And then Bill Frizzell, who also worked with Hans. And I worked with Denver way back in Denver, like 96. I worked with Bill on a project with Ron. Bill was like, oh, man, Hans told him I was in New York. He's like, man, Hans told me you were in New York. Okay, now you're there. Okay, now let's play. I can call you for some gigs. So that's how I kind of hooked back up with Bill. And it just started rolling after that. It was kind of like people kind of knew me. They knew who I was. They knew I was here. They knew the people I was playing with. It just sort of started to trickle. There's more people, local people would call. Not local, but just cats who were on the scene would call me who were not necessarily big time dudes, and I, you know, I would take everyone's music because I want to play everyone's music. It's cool, isn't it? yes. <laughs> and so it was like it just sort of rolled from there. I was just sort of everywhere because I wasn't really turning down anything. You know, what I mean, I'm not like a cat who's just like oh, I don't really play that kind of. You know, no, that's not my. You know, everything is my thing. I just like playing music. Period. If you like having me, I'm gonna play your gig. You know what I'm saying? Yes. It, just, it doesn't really matter to me. So it just seemed like I was just everywhere, you know what I mean? Because it's just like so many different people were calling, and I was just like saying, yeah, to even students from Manhattan School of Music, I'm like, yeah, let's play. I mean, I'm cool with that. 
you know, so it just kind of, it, it gave me such a presence around the city that it felt like I was just everywhere, <laughs> which was cool with me because then I just, I, you know, I, people started hearing about Then the higher up, you know, people started hearing Dave Douglas's and people like that. So, and it was cool. He kind of, he called me to sit in for Nasheed with the brass band that he has, the brass XTC band. I did like a gig with him at the Vanguard. And that's how my relationship started with him. Nice. So the lesson we can learn from, from this is basically just say yes and take all the work that you can. People will learn about you. And, and this is all assuming that you're playing well. That's a given. Yeah. And uh, and things will start to work out for you. Yeah, I mean, just, you know, yeah. Say yes to people's gigs. The biggest thing you could do is don't be a jerk. Say yes to people's gigs and be cool. Don't show up to their gig drunk. Don't talk back to the band leader like you know more than they do about their music. You know what I mean? It's just like, just be humble. Mm-hmm. Play people's music and let your playing progress you. Let, let, let your attitude progress you. You know what I mean? You don't have to make it happen. Just be cool and play well. I thought about Kevin Durant when you said that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway, I won't get into basketball. I'm not time for, for that right now. But uh, I do hope he wins the MVP. But anyway. Yeah. All right, so tell us, what are you working on right now in your career? So now, man, I'm working on just trying to learn how to be a leader. <laughs> like, I got my record that just came out. And so I'm, just still, I'm still learning the business, and I'm still, I still feel new to this. I feel like I just got here two years ago. I didn't even have a passport till six years ago. You know what I mean? So it just kind of feels new. But I'm just, you know, learning how to, you know, present myself, book my own band, still be professional, play people's gigs, and do a good job, and, you know, but I, now I'm just working on my my own uh, leadership, really trying to become a leader of my own band. Write, write some more music, too. You know, I just want to do some different things, you know, just like my playing is. You know, the next thing I come out with, I don't want to necessarily be the same as what I just did. I want it to be maybe something drastically different. But just music, man. As much music as I can do and just do it. <laughs> don't you have a, a new CD out right now? Yeah, I have a CD just came out February 4th. It's called 303. Yeah, it's written for, you know, a tribute to Denver. 303 is Denver's area code. So, uh, yeah, it's just a tribute to all the, the people I learned from and all the, you know, the sights and the sounds of Denver and just my music upbringing there. But yeah, and it's doing pretty good. It's a good record. Get it, 303. We most certainly will support. Everybody go to iTunes right now and download 303 by Rudy Royston. Is that the way you prefer us to get it, iTunes? Is that okay? Yeah, iTunes is perfect. All right. Um, so somebody wanted me to ask this question. Shout out to drummer Sam Jewell in Chicago. Okay. He wanted me to ask you, what is your influence as far as your composing? Who influenced you? Uh, probably the biggest influence is Ron Miles. Uh, that's, you know, that's how I learned so much about music from this guy. He's, you know, he's uh, an amazing musician and an amazing composer. But he just, you know, for me, uh, I like music that's kind of allowed to live, allowed to sort of breathe, you know, and I kind of sort of learned that from, from Ron. You have these beautiful melodies going on or, or accessible melodies, and, you know, underneath, no one knows what the people in the band, there's like these complex time signatures going on, and so I kind of like that. There's a challenge of playing the tune, but the tune is still accessible to the listener, you know, and it's still, you know, it's something they can sing and, and they can groove to, uh, you know, and I, you know, I like that whole vibe. I like textures. You know, I like change in, in a tune. I don't like it to stay the same. You know, I like um, colors. And, you know, I'm, I'm just a 
romantic, I don't know what it is, but I like beautiful things. You know what I mean? Stuff that's like, man, that's beautiful. You know, that's killing. It's like, uh, I like melodies that sort of evoke that kind of a feeling. So, you know, this, you know, my, my biggest influence was probably Ron, though. You know, and how he used textures and how he uses colors and groove and, and contrast. You know, all those kinds of things that are, are things that I'm into with composing. But, I, you know, I'm into everything. Commercials, movies, everything influences. Why did you decide to become a band leader right right now in your career? You know, I don't know. I just sort of felt right to do it now. You know, I, I've, I've learned so much from the people who I was playing with. There was so, you know, so many things. Like, I would be playing with Bill, and I'm like, man, I want to write a tune like that. You know what I mean? Or I was like, man, I want to try something like that. Or, you know, all those, those kinds of uh, moments in my career. I've played with so many different people. You know, I was like, I think I'm ready to do something completely mine and to see you know, what it's going to be like. You know, it was, just, it was a sort of time, you know, you take in so much information over time. At some point, you don't want to put it out. You know, <laughs> now it's just time for me to put it out. I would have tried it earlier if I moved here earlier, but um, I just now just felt like the right time. So I, I was wondering, was was waiting to move to New York a part of your original plan? Like when you got married, did you know that you wanted to do the family life in Denver and then move to New York? No, you know, I had no intention of moving to New York. <laughs> okay. I wanted to move to New York, but, I, you know, I was just kind of like, eh, you know, I'm, I'm in Denver and I'm sort of established. You know, I'm teaching. My wife is teaching. We got a good income. We got a baby coming. We got another baby. You know, it was just, it was not in the cards. You know, we were involved with a lot of things, a lot of church things. Uh, it was just, it was just there. I, I always wanted to come because all these cats would come through New York. Um, come to Denver from New York and play, and I'd be like, man, you know, I really want to get into some of that. So, no, I didn't have a, an intention of coming, but one day I just sort of woke up and I went to, to school to teach, and I was like, man, you know, you're getting good at this. I was getting, like, really good at being a high school band teacher. I was getting there. I was terrible when I first started. It was starting to get better and better. I was like, oh, man, you're, gonna, you're turning into a band teacher, which is cool. It's like, but you want to play. You didn't want to lose that playing aspect. Right. Yeah, I understand. It's like, you want to play. You don't really want to just do this. So it's like, I got I to gotta give this a try. So at that point, I was like, man, I got I to gotta at least go to New York and try this before, before I get so, you know, I, I can get stuck in the teaching, you know, because you, you, you get, have a certain level of living, standard of living that you have to maintain. So it's like, okay, let me, let me go now. So I talked it over with Shami and she was cool with it. So, yeah, you know, so I kind of moved here as, you know, a way to really do what I had a passion to do. Because I could have taught, because it's still music. It was still music. I was still loving it, no matter what, it's music. But it wasn't really what I had a passion to do. I just want to play, you know? So, um, yeah, I, I kind of moved here out of that. But I, I didn't have any, any intention of moving to New York. So I wanted to ask you, what is your advice to those people who are working day jobs, but deep down inside they want to have a music career, but they're not doing that? What, what's your advice to them? Man, you know, the only way to do it is to do it. I mean, the, the only way to, to play music if you really want to do it is you, you kind of have to just give up what you're doing and go for it. If you can make the two balance, then make them balance. If you can reach the level of musicianship you can reach by doing your day job and playing, then that's cool. You, sh you should be happy. But if you're not happy and you're like, wait a minute, I, I want more, you, you have to give it a try. I mean, there's just kind of no way around it. 
So you try to save some money from what you have and give yourself a little time. So like, I'm going to save some money and give myself a year to see if I can make this happen. So you got to see it out through the predetermined time because things will get tricky. Something big may happen at the beginning of it and then taper off towards the end. You know what I mean? You just, well, you just you have to deal with it as you go. But, you know, you kind of you got to step in it and just go. You know, if, if, if you want that place, you know, if you want to really get at that passion. Well, thanks a lot so much. Thank you, Rudy, for your time. You really share some valuable information with us. And we want to remind everybody to buy Rudy's album 303 from iTunes. Yeah. Rudy, how can people follow you? Uh, they can follow me on my website, RudyRoyston.com. They can follow me on Facebook. I'm on there. And they can follow me on Greenleaf's, Greenleaf Music, their website, because the record's on Greenleaf, Dave Douglas's label. And uh, yeah, I mean, call me. Thanks a lot, Rudy. We appreciate you. Thank you, man. That was our talk with drummer Rudy Royston. Rudy, if you're listening right now, thank you so much for sharing your time with us. We are all thankful for that. Hey, guys. Rudy has a new album out called 303. You can get it on iTunes or Amazon. And I will have a link on the show notes for you at BehindTheNote.com. Guess what? It's now 1.50 a.m. The magic of technology so cool, right? But guess what? It's past my bedtime. So I'm going to sleep right now. And I'd like for you to go to iTunes and subscribe to the show if you haven't done that already. If you have, thank you so much. And I still need those ratings and reviews from you guys. Trying to make number one and new and noteworthy. Thanks for all your help. And we'll see you in episode 10. God bless. Why are you still here? The episode is over. Go do something. Like rate the show on iTunes. That would be great. All right. See you next episode. You guys are the best.